Good morning. As I told the folks in the 8.30 service, it is good to preach to people. Um, for a long time now, I've been preaching to an empty auditorium, and if you can imagine that, this morning, um, Pastor Chad and Pastor Mike would sit at the sound desk doing the video and uh, sound, and, and it was completely empty. No one else here. It, it was a good exercise, interesting to do, uh, but it's, it's good to actually look out and see people, so I'm grateful for that. Well, if you were with us by way of video the last couple of weeks, you know we have been looking at um, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. We've been looking at that for two weeks in John chapter 3, and we see that Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, you must be born again. You must be born from above. And then that moves into that great section where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so that brings us to our passage this morning. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 3 and verses 22 through 30. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. And you'll notice that the first two words are after this. And so it's talking about after his conversation with Nicodemus. So after this, and we read, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase but I must decrease. Well, our first point this morning is John's disciples. And let me mention, too, if you're visiting with us this morning, I know some of you are watching this second service still by video. I am preaching through the Gospel of John, and we are moving section by section, and it is this morning that we find ourselves at this particular passage. Well, as this scene opens... Jesus and his disciples are baptizing in the same geographic area as John and his disciples. In verse 22, it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. Now, if we back up just a little bit in the Gospel of John, Jesus and his disciples were at the Passover in Jerusalem. And it is in the Jerusalem area that Jesus has his conversation with Nicodemus. But now Jesus and his disciples have been, or excuse me, move out into the Judean 
countryside. They, so they have gone from the big city out into the countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. Now this is interesting. We don't often see in the New Testament where Jesus is baptizing. We see him teaching. We see him performing miracles. We see him having interactions with the Pharisees. But it isn't often that we see him baptizing. But here he is. And in verses 23 and 24 it says, John also, John the Baptist, was also baptizing at Anon. Anon simply means the fountain, so it was a place that was known as the fountains near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized. So, to kind of get a little context here, Jesus and his disciples are very near where John and his disciples are at. John and his disciples are to the north. Jesus and his disciples are to the south but they are both baptizing. And it says in verse 24, for John had not yet been put in prison. And the apostle John inserts that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our benefit. So John has not yet been sent to prison where he would be executed by Herod Antipas. And this brings up an interesting thought here that again, we don't often consider or think about. And that is for a time, for a time, the ministries of Jesus and John were happening simultaneously. So their ministries are going on at the same time for a short period of time. Again, John to the north, Jesus and his disciples to the south. Well, John's disciples, who were intensely loyal to him, are concerned that his followers are now going to Jesus. In verse 25 we read, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So we have this discussion taking place between John's disciples and a Jew. Now, in the context, it appears, it appears that this person who is simply called a Jew was probably now following Jesus. So we have a follower of Jesus and some of John's disciples, and they are having this discussion over purification. Now, we don't even know what this discussion was about. Oh, there's a lot of speculation about what this discussion over purification might have been about and how come it's inserted here in this particular passage, but the answer is we really don't know. I think John's put it here, the Apostle John, so that it sets up the scene. So there, here's a follower of Jesus, we assume, and John's disciples having this discussion, and it is in this context that John's disciples go and talk to John. And in verse 26, it says, And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And we can understand that John's followers were very loyal to him. And they go to him. And they say, Rabbi, teacher, everybody's leaving you. And they're now going over to Jesus. He's, he's the one that you were with across the Jordan. You bore witness of him, but now everybody's going to him. And notice what they say. And you see this 
almost well-intended jealousy here. Look, he is baptizing. He's doing your job. He's doing the thing that you were doing. And now watch that last phrase, and all are going to him. And all are going to him. Now we need to keep in mind that John the Baptist, at this time in history, was drawing huge crowds. If you were listening to the sermons in John chapter 1, I mentioned this before, but Alfred Edersheim, the great Jewish historian, says it is hard for us to grasp today how popular John the Baptist was. Huge crowds were following him and listening to him. And of course, we know there was no television, radio, newspaper, social media, anything like that. If you heard about someone by word of mouth, you would flock to them. You would go where they are. You would walk great distances to go hear them speak. John was very popular. We know this even from the Gospels. Luke tells us that multitudes went out to hear John. Matthew tells us that people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and the region all around the Jordan were all going out to hear John. We know from the Gospel of John chapter 1 that the Jews sent a delegation of Pharisees and Levites to question him. We know that some people thought he was the second coming of Elijah or one of the other prophets. Or maybe he was the prophet, the one that Moses had talked about. So John was very popular. Huge crowds. And now they're leaving. His own disciples said, they're all going to the other man. They're all going to Jesus. So the question is, how is John the Baptist going to respond? He's this well-known speaker. He's got all these crowds. And now they're leaving. And they're going to Jesus. How is he going to be, or how is he going to respond? And we are going to see here John's humble, humble response. I have a I have titled this message, The Last Words of a Humble Man, Part 1. We're going to look at Part 2 next week. Next week is Father's Day. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And I want to talk to all of us fathers next week, using John as an example of how important it is to be a humble man. And sometimes how difficult it is to be a humble man. And we see John here responding in a very important and humble way. And so my second point this morning is John's three responses. He gives three responses to his disciples, and I want to look at them one at a time. John's first response, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Verse 27, that's what it says. John answered, men, his disciples, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John is saying to them, my entire life, my ministry is a gift from God. Everything I am, everything I'm doing in my ministry is a gift from God. God in his sovereignty has ordained that this is my place in history. And my place was to be a forerunner for the Messiah, 
to proclaim the coming of the Messiah, but the Messiah's now come. It's time. It's time for them to go to him. My ministry is coming to a close. And this is an important lesson for every single one of us here this morning. We need to remember that everything we are and everything we have and everything we do is a gift from God. What an important principle for us to remember in our lives, in our Christian lives. Everything we are, everything we have, everything we do is a gift from God. God gives us our place in history. He gives us our task to do for his glory and for his honor. I want to share an illustration with you. It's one I've shared before in other sermons, so if you've heard it before, please forgive me, but it really fits well here. Jonathan Edwards once told the story. He said, God sent two angels to earth, and he gave them each a job. One was to be a king over a nation, and the other was to be a street sweeper. And both were grateful for what God had given them to do, and both did their tasks with all their hearts. I want you to think with me this morning of how God, in his giftedness, gives us each different places, different gifts, different things to do. Let's say there are two pastors. They both love Jesus with all of their hearts. They are both faithful to him. They both are faithful to the word of God. One pastor has a large church and a large ministry. The other pastor has a small church. And for all of his ministry, he ministers in a small church. Will they both be content? Will they both see this as the gift of God? That this is what God has given them to do? Two Christian businessmen both love Jesus with all of their hearts. Both are faithful to Christ. One Christian businessman makes millions of dollars. He has a large company. The other Christian businessman makes a modest income. He's able to pay his bills but not do a lot more. Will they both be content? Will they both see this as the gift of God? Will they both rejoice in what God has decided, what God has chosen for them to do? Two mothers, two mothers, they both have small children. They both love Jesus. They are both faithful to him. But one of the mothers is a well-known author, and she speaks at conferences all over the United States. The other mother basically stays at home, loves her husband, loves her children, lives her life in relative obscurity. Will they both be thankful? Will they both rejoice in what God has sovereignly given them to do upon the earth? What a principle. What a principle. A person cannot receive even one thing even one thing, unless it is given him from heaven. John's second response, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. That's verse 28. 
He says to his disciples, John does, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Gee, or excuse me, John the Baptist had been saying all throughout his ministry, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. We saw this in John chapter 1. Let me read just a couple of excerpts, just a few excerpts from John chapter 1. These won't be on the screen. Just listen to what John has been saying all along in his ministry. John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. So John says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. And to go along with it, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The one who has the bride the bride being the church, the bride of Christ, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The groom gets the bride, the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, if you will, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He says to his disciples, I'm not the groom. I'm the friend of the groom. The groom is the one to whom the bride will come. One writer put it this way. He said, imagine that you are at a modern day wedding. And there is the best man and he is standing right next to the groom. He's a friend of the groom and he supports the groom. But then in comes the bride. And the bride is given to the groom, and they are married. And then they make their way out of the auditorium. And all kinds of pictures, or excuse me, all kinds of people are taking pictures of the groom and the bride. People are throwing rice at the groom and the bride. All eyes are now focused on the groom and the bride. And off alone, sitting on the church steps, is the friend is the best man all by himself, all alone. But he has a big smile on his face because he came to the ceremony to see the bride given to the groom. That was the whole reason he came. That's why he was a friend. That's why he was so supportive. So he and everyone else could see the bride being given to the groom. And John says, therefore, 
Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. But I want you to notice something else here in verse 29. It says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. There's something about the groom's voice. And we know why, don't we? It is the voice of the Son of God. It is the voice of the one who spoke all things into creation. It is the voice of the one who will raise the dead to life. And the bride is hearing the voice of the groom. In John chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, we have that important section where it talks about the good shepherd. And this is what it says. To him, to the good shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. It says, the sheep hear his voice. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you see what's happening here? The sheep, the bride, the bride of Christ is hearing the voice of the bridegroom. And they're leaving John, and they're going to him. They're going to a savior. They are going to a lamb. They are going to a shepherd. They are going to a protector. They are going to a provider. They are going to the light of the world. They are going to the bread of life because they hear his voice. It is the voice of their master calling them. John says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Well, John's third response, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's what it says in verse 30. R.C. Sproul said these are perhaps the most famous words that ever fell from the lips of John the Baptist. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. This is literally true in the God-given ministry of John the Baptist. I want you to really notice the word must. John is saying he must. He must increase. I must decrease. That's what my whole ministry has been about. I am the forerunner. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, but now Messiah has come. The Lamb who takes away the sin of the world has come. It is time for them to go to him. He must increase. I must decrease. And I want you to see what's happening here, folks. John's star is burning out. John the Baptist is fading into the background. He's fading into the shadows. He's fading into obscurity. And that's how it should be. That's how it's supposed to be. He must increase, but I must decrease. And this must be true of every single one of us, as, though who, uh, 
as those who know Christ as Savior, as followers of Jesus. This is at the heart and soul of the whole Christian life. Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, we could come at this from so many different directions. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must get all the glory and all the praise and all the credit it's not important for me to get praise. It's not important for me to get glory. It doesn't matter whether I'm acknowledged or not or if I'm recognized or not. I'm happy to be in the background because I want people to see Jesus. We could come at it from another direction and say, he must increase, but I must decrease. I must die to myself. I must die to my selfishness and my self-centeredness so that the resurrected Christ can shine through me. And when people see me, they see Jesus. We could come at this from another direction. He must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, I want his power. I want his strength. I don't want to rely on me. I don't want my intellect I don't want my talents. I want his power. I want his strength. I want his peace. Oh, he must increase, but I must decrease. Oh, let Jesus be exalted. Let me fade into the background. And let every one of us understand this morning, this is the path to being filled with the joy of the Lord. This is the path to being filled with the joy of the Lord when Jesus increases and I decrease. Here's a principle for you this morning. When Jesus increases and I decrease, my joy increases. When Jesus increases and, my, and I decrease, my joy increases. No one knew this better than John the Baptist. He knew this. Jesus calls every one of us. Jesus calls every one of us to love him more than we love anyone or anything. Jesus calls us to follow him. Jesus calls us to trust him. Jesus calls us to enjoy him. Jesus calls us to be satisfied in him alone. Jesus calls us to delight in him. Jesus calls us to obey him more than anyone else. And when we do, and when we do, we will be filled. We will be filled to the brim with the joy of the Lord. John said, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, on this day when we are able to meet together, a day for which we are so thankful, help us to learn from the great humility of John the Baptist. May every single one of us leave here saying, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. Oh, Lord, as we exalt Jesus and honor 
Jesus and praise Jesus. Fill us. Fill us with your joy. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we uh, close in song. <laughs> Sweet.